going to talk uh, for a few weeks about being the church. We're going to read this. We've got some other, other verses that we're going to be popping up there, and you've got them in your notes there, too, that I want you to go back over later. So I want to define today. That's kind of what we're going to do today is define what it is. Uh, now, sometimes it's hard to define things. And, and I've, I've, I've always uh, only spoken really English, a little bit of Pig Latin, but mostly English, Ozarkian English at that. Is that a thing? It is. It is a thing. It is. But, you know, thinking about people learning our language, and so you got a very difficult thing. Sometimes it's hard to define things. Church can be the same way. So uh, I was just thinking about this the other day, like when somebody's trying to learn this language, how difficult it must be. It's just like all the, the different rules we have and the exceptions, and it's just like take, for instance, the other day I cooked up some uh, squash. I mean, squash can be a plant that you grow and eat, but... You know, uh, your mom may say when you're a kid that go over there and get that squash. And while you're at it, would you squash that bug? Squash, squash. Actually, see, it's the same. It's, 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 it's different where I come from because one is squash, one is squish. And there's even a fast tense. You squished it. Okay, but squash, squash. You, you see what I'm saying there? I mean, and for example, uh, Bat. Bat, that can be a stick made out of wood or aluminum or whatever that you use to hit a ball. Or it could also be this furry little mammal that flies around and eats mosquitoes and bugs, right? Or it can be used instead of a noun as a verb and you bat something away, bat it with your, your hand. And then you think you've about got it all covered and figured out and then somebody that's a real goofball, they may say that guy is a dingbat. I'm not really sure what dingbat is. What is that? Uh, maybe they've been dinged over the head with a bat, and that's why they act that way. Dingbat? You know, nothing, nothing, nothing. No, no ideas there. All right, okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then, you know, a bow is something you can tie uh, like with a ribbon, make a bow, or it can also be a weapon that shoots arrows. How do you know these things, right? Very confusing sometimes when we're talking and throwing words out there. And then there's one that is kind of a, 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 a tough word because, um, so, so here, here's a word that, that has just been through it all. Now, this word started out in the old country meaning like a soup, and then it was a thick liquid. Then it could also be used as a verb. And um, it's this word right here, dope. Uh, it's used as a verb. So it's something thick. thick. And, then, and then it's like if you, if you glob something on, you dope it on there. Like mom used to dope that Vic Sav on my throat and chest, you know, whenever I had a cold, okay? Uh, then you get in, and then you get on up into the early 1900s, and for some reason, a dope became somebody who was, well, a dingbat, okay? Somebody that's kind of goofy, you know? Uh, so it could be also a dope. And, and, then, and then you get into the 60s, and dope began to be applied to narcotics and drugs. And somebody was, and I said that to uh, one of the people in one of the mystery houses, said about something about smoking dope, and, and they laughed at me and said, nobody smokes 
dope anymore. They might smoke weed, but no, no one says that anymore. People say that to me all the time. I said, just hang on. It'll come back around. I'm going to stick with it, right? <laughs> but it began, you know, and even now, whenever they're testing for illegal substances in the Olympics and in sports and baseball, whatever, they get, somebody gets charged with doping, right? So somehow it became that. I'm not sure how all of that happened, you know. Um, and then, uh, but, but now... Uh, now, as it's not done yet. I find out from the young people that now, if something's really awesome and excellent, it's dope. Yeah, that's dope. That's what they say. It's dope. So I'm going to tell you, this sermon series is dope. This is going to be dope because we're going to define our purpose. Oh, here's what I mean by that. Dope, defining our purpose every day. So, you know, when I'm thinking about that, I saw that and I thought, hey, I'm just going to call this, this <laughs> sermon series Getting Our Church on Dope because I want us to get to where we define our purpose every day and live it out. But somehow I didn't think that would come out quite like I wanted it to. But, but you get the idea. We want to define our purpose every day. And as, as we know in our language, words are used a lot of different ways. Say the word church. A lot of times people use that word to describe a building. That's the church. But in the New Testament, the word is ekklesia, and it literally means the called out. Those, and it was used in Greek literature. People may be called out to a special assembly or to be a special group. Jesus said that I'm going, he used that word. And it's translated into English as church, but really it never ever in the New Testament refers to a building at all. It always refers to people. So somebody says to me, so... Uh, Where's your church? And I'm like, all over the place, man. All over the place. We meet at this building right here, but it's all over the place. We are his called out. Now, uh, what I want to do then is I want to go ahead and look over in Matthew 16. I want to read this quickly, um, and hopefully you've already found it, where Jesus first uses this in this way. So in verse 13, Matthew 16 uh, it says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and uh, we got to visit that site. It's actually about as far north as he traveled. It's right at the foot of Mount Hermon. Um, there are a lot of Roman ruins there and things right there in that area. And as we were there, um, uh, uh, Brother Rob said it was somewhere in this area where Jesus was actually here, and he asked this question. That's pretty cool. Um, so he's right there and he asks his disciple, disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And uh, they said, some say John the Baptist, kind of get them confused up there. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. The Son, and the word Christ is the Greek equivalent of Messiah. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, and that name Petros, Peter means rock. He said, and on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. 
And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whether, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That talks about the authority that he himself is actually giving his body, the, the church. Uh, so this is a common way so, of, uh, now of referring to the people of the Lord, right, in the New Testament. Now, everyone who came to Christ and was saved became part of that called out group of people. There's so many verses we can look at. I'm just trying to boil it down here and just get down to defining our purpose. Um, but uh, there, there's so many things. He calls us out. So everybody who's saved is part of what we call the universal church. That is, of all time, all of those who are his. We all belong together. So somebody might meet at a different location, a different building, but if they are genuinely saved and their name is in the book of life, that means they're my brother or my sister. We're in the same family. And uh, we ought to be sharing together in glorifying and serving our Lord. We may have different labels over our door. We may meet in different buildings, but we are part of the church, okay? The universal church. But for Paul to be a part of that meant you also connected yourself to a local congregation of believers. You became part of a local church. And you see this used this way as both for Paul, for you to be part of one, you were going to be part of the other. It was not, uh, it didn't make sense, I don't think, to him for you to be saved and part of the church and not be part of a church. You need to connect yourself. And over the next few years, we want to talk about what that looks like and what that means and, and the blessing of all of that. So um, now, he, let's give you some for instance. And I know I put a lot up here, but in Galatians 1, 1 through 5, I could have just put verse 2, but this is so rich. Scripture is alive and powerful. I just want to read it, okay? All right, let's look at it. Paul, he says, an apostle, he's introducing himself, uh, you know, writing a letter. So a lot of times we write a letter, we put our name at the end. In those days, they put it at the beginning of the letter, Paul, an apostle. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The resurrection's right in there, right? So God called me. No one appointed me. This is God's calling. And he said, and all the brothers who are with me, so we're writing you, he says, to the churches of Galatia. Now, there was, this was circulated over the area. There was more than one local Church, local gathering of believers, local congregation. So that's why he said churches of Galatia. Then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Amen? There's a gospel coming out already. He gave himself for our, for our sins to deliver us from, not just our sins, but from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory. Now he's got to worship a little bit. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that just powerful, rich? It just, just comes right out of there. And when he wrote the Philippians, he said this, starting the letter in Philippians 1.1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants are literally slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now, all those saints are going to be part of congregation, but here he even mentions overseers and deacons. These are the shepherds, the pastors, the overseers, and the servers, servants, the deacons of the church. These are two offices that he spells out to Timothy in his letters to him. So obviously by this time that there was official structure and order, just like God says there's order in the home, there is structure and there's order even in the local church. You see that? 
And so there are a lot of churches and things popping up. But sometimes when I want to be a biblical local ecclesia. And part of it involves this. That there, there is structure and responsibility and roles that are, we all have. All right? All right. So uh, anyway, so this is how he approaches that. This is the biblical model. And without clearly understanding and defining these things, we're sort of left groping for answers. Or, or we just kind of do our own thing our own way, right, and call it good. And we say, well, you know, uh, but, but listen, God's always doing something that surprises me. But so many people are talking about the Lord's doing a new thing. I hope they meant that just something we ain't seen in a while. But if it's something that, 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 that's not, you know, spelled out in this, it might not be from God, okay? We've got to have the basis of Scripture. So what are we going to base things on? The Scripture. Otherwise... We, we think we have an idea, but we're not defining it properly. <laughs> One of my favorite poems, and it's been a while since I've read this. Some of you old-timers will remember this, but a very well-known poem, very well-known poem by John Godfrey, Godfrey Sachs, uh, that of the, the uh, blind men and, and the elephant. I, I, I just love it, because this is the way we are when we don't get into the Word and get the answers. Listen to it. It says, There were six blind men of Indostan to, learn, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind. The first one, the trunk he happened to take. And he said, to me, there can be no mistake. This wonder of an elephant is very like a snake. The second one against his side did fall, and immediately he began to bawl. Tis plain to all, the elephant is very like a wall. The third blind man reached out his hand and happened to take the ear. And he said, correct me if you can, but the elephant is very like a fan. The fourth no sooner about the beast to grope than he took his tail and spoke. The elephant is very like a rope. The fifth one reached out and touched the knee and said, why, even a blind man can see that the elephant is very like a tree. The sixth one, without fear, took hold of the tusk and said, To me it is quite clear that the elephant is most like a spear. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long. Each one, in his own opinion, exceeded stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. Every one of them was wrong, but they had a little part right. If we're not careful, that's the way we end up. We might get some little thing. We're just like these blind men uh, going along. We, we're doing a good few good things. We're achieving a few goals, but we're not even seeing the big picture of what God wants us to be. One of my favorite illustrations, and I don't know who said this first, but we're all kind of like ants walking across a Rembrandt painting. As we travel, we see gradually the changing of the colors and the texture changes under our feet, but we have no clue what the big picture is. That's kind of the way it is sometimes. So what do we need? What do we have to do? So we have to get into the Scripture. This is where it's spelled out. Otherwise, we could just make up whatever we want and go whatever direction we want and just say, well, God told me. Well, I've got to have some authority. 
I've got to have some basis. And I'm glad that he gave that to us in the form of his word that is inspired and preserved and it endures forever. Because this isn't going away. You can say you don't believe it, you don't like it, you don't understand it, whatever. Because the Bible itself tells us that all of mankind is kind of like grass or like flowers. One of these days they're going to fade and wither. But he says the word of the Lord endures forever. Books are going to be open when we stand before God in judgment. And when we stand before his uh, judgment seat. And this book is going to be open. And you can't get away from it. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. In Corinthians, Paul says this when he begins to address the church. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. He's talking about a local gathering of believers who are operating together as a body. And there is structure and there is purpose. They had all kinds of problems, but at least there is this, right? He begins, so, so he says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, called to be set apart, together with all of those. So he, there's the local church, but he says you're a part of, listen to what he says, with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So the local church in Corinth, together with everybody who's part of the church is what he's saying. So you see him using it kind of in both ways right there. Um, so and it seems like there in Corinth, as I said, no sooner had that church begun to grow than everybody begun, had begun to do their own thing. There were dissensions and schisms and arguments and contentions. And Paul blasts away at that already right after he says this in chapter 1 and tries to bring them back to the central thing. And that is this. Listen to me. The message of the cross of salvation through Christ. It doesn't matter what all other kind of things we're doing. And a lot of all the other things that we're doing, whether we're meeting needs, feeding hungry, doing whatever, it all has to be in order to have this, to be able to present the gospel. And we can do all kinds of good things, but if we're not sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus, we're failing in our purpose. This was the central theme that he began to push them to. And so we must not merely be going about doing our own thing. What we've got to be doing is fulfilling our Father's eternal purpose that he has. So where do we find it? Right here. Right here. And the problem is, is a lot of people, we're just too lazy to get in the Word. We want a shortcut. We just don't want to, or we just want to do what feels right to us at the time. Well, there have been so many that have gone before us that have stood on this and, and, and one of the most puzzling times in church in, in the history of the world to me is are the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. And during that time, uh, there was such an unholy mixture of politics and corruption and religion. And, and, and the ordinary people weren't even allowed to have the Bible in their hands because most of them couldn't read. A lot of the population were illiterate. Did you know that? You know, when they colonized... North America, one of the driving reasons why people wanted to start schools so that, was so that we had a literate population so they could read the Word of God for themselves. So back then, people weren't very literate, and the, the leaders who began to call themselves priests, even though in the New Testament it teaches that we're all a kingdom of priests, right? Everyone, the priesthood of the believer. 
but they began to call themselves that, and, and, and then that they were trying to protect the word. It's like, well, if we let the people have access, even after the you know, printing press was developed, and everything, but you know, it made it easier, even then they said, if we let the people have access to it, they'll misunderstand it and come up with all kinds of stuff. So we're protecting the word by keeping it from them. And so we will, it's our job to tell them what it says and all of that. And all kinds of corruption had already crept in. Well, we know about, about that time that Martin Luther nailed his theses uh, on the wall of the church in Wittenberg. But what um, we sometimes forget is there's so many all the way through that believe the truth, just like you and I do. One of the heroes, going back 100 years before Martin Luther, was this guy right here, a guy named John Haas. Haas, however you want to say it. Um, I'm sure we're not saying it the way he would have said it. He was an early reformer, and he lived three, or 1369 through 14, actually 15, 1450. So that's a long time ago. During his life, the official church were dominating people. He had gotten into the ministry, priesthood, and he began to read the word. And he began to oppose some things that were happening. For instance, they would have these new edicts that would come. And they were supposed to have equal authority with Scripture. And one of them was you could pay money and get sins forgiven. Sounds like a scam to me, doesn't it? Well, it was. He began to preach against that. The church's domination and mistreatment of women. He began to teach against that and actually use women in leading and, and, and helping teach and do things. John Huss was persecuted because of that. And because he questioned whether they were doing things according to Scripture, finally... It's a long story. You should go back and read over it. it. He was invited to the Council of Constance in 1415, and he was guaranteed safe passage and protection. But when he got there, they put him in prison. And what happened was they had set him up, and they were going to have a heresy trial. And during this, all of the stuff he was teaching, they were charging as heresy. And his cry through the whole thing was, he says, I appeal to the Scripture. If you can show me in the Scripture where I am wrong, I will recant. But if you can't show me in Scripture, I'm going to stick with this even if you kill me. On July the 6th, 1415, he refused to recant, appealing again to the Scriptures. And instead of going to the Scriptures... And answering questions, they took him to a stake that was in the ground. And they used a chain to chain his neck to the stake. And they piled wood around him and they burned him at the stake. All the while he was praying for the Lord to have mercy on them. So, see, we stand here with the truth of God. And there's so much better people than me that have stood for this and tried to cry out and call people's attention. What we're doing isn't scriptural. I appeal to the scriptures. And they gave their lives for that. So that we have it today. And it said before he died, you might kill. And his last name, I think, in, in his language meant goose. <laughs> he said, you might cook this goose. You might kill this goose. But God's going to bring an eagle. A hundred years later, Martin Luther was hammering on that door. God said at some point, not just a few, but everybody's going to have to hear this. And reformation began to happen, and then uh, all kinds of things happened. So what I'm saying is, we can get in the same shape, because at that time, the church was more tied to custom and culture and tradition than they were about Scripture. 
We can get the same way if we're not careful. So we've got to go to the holy page now more than ever to see if our purpose, see if our message, see if our agenda matches up to what God says. So discovering the purpose, really quick, I just want to look at a few things here. Um, as, as I look at this, uh, as we discover our purpose, um, we've got to remember that uh, to be a really strong biblical church, it's, we'll use whatever tools we can get. There may be programs, there may be different things, but they are not built, a strong church is not built on programs or personalities or gimmicks. All of those will fail. They are built on the eternal principles and purposes of God. See, methods, programs, or tools that we might use, no method that or, or, or way that we might do something, no method lasts forever. We've got we to ask ourselves um, some of the things that, and it was, it was really this way in, in years past, but, but even now we've got to ask ourselves, if we were beginning to do this right now, would we do it this way? Because here's what I'm saying. In our churches, a lot of times our methods become more sacred to us than the message itself. And you know, the old joke that they have, this thing in, in a lot of our churches, especially Baptist churches, like the, the most, uh, you know, alarming thing any pastor or any, anybody can hear, any pastor can hear is like, we've never done it that way before. You know, it's a joke, but that's true. It doesn't matter. We, we, we get into a rut. We want to go through the motions. We just do things with, habits can be good, where you can do things efficiently, but you can get to the point that you don't even think. Like, I know where I live. I, 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 and there's been times, I, I do, I know where we live. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but there's times, I'll be talking on the phone, and I need to stop by the post office. I need to stop by there before I go to the house because, you know, it's almost noon, and, and they're, gonna, they're, gonna, they're not going to be there because I may have a package I'm expecting, and I'll have to wait to get it, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I don't want to forget. And I'll get to talking to someone, or I'll get to thinking about something, and the next thing I know, I'm at the house. I barely even remember driving it. I mean, my mind can be totally somewhere else and I can, I can get there. And I was thinking about something else. I thought, I didn't go to the post office. And I turn around and go back. Am I the only one that's ever done stuff like that? Huh? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I get some confirmation there. A little confirmation. Good, good. <laughs> so so uh, habits can make you efficient, but sometimes they make you just go through the motion without really thinking. And that's a lot of what we, we like that. We like to just be comfortable, and we just kind of go through the whole habits, and we'll do that in worship. We'll do that in church. We'll do that with our way. We're comfortable with this. We're happy. We're secure with this. That's why I always say any new way we start doing something that seems to be exciting and fresh and effective, in a few years from now, it'll be the next rut. Oh, by the way, you remember what a rut is, don't you? It's just a grave with the ends knocked out. That's right. We get into those. So we have to ask that question. So um, that's the thing. We got to remember this. Remember this. The message is inspired. The message, all right? You got it? The message is inspired, not the methods. Unless the methods are spelled out in Scripture of exactly how we're supposed to do something, they're adaptable. You know, whenever Jesus ascended back into heaven and after the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and you might say the church age was born, the scriptures were still being written. And then the complete New Testament scriptures were finished. The church had that. 
But even in the early church, they just had the Old Testament teachings and Jesus' teachings. He didn't leave a detailed manual of how to do stuff. Some example. But here's what happened. As the Holy Spirit came, God's very presence, God the Spirit in us, and he left us, the church, to hammer it out. And that's what you see happening in the book of Acts as they're scattered and as churches are planted and started and as time goes on. He left us to hammer it out. And then, and, and, and then <laughs> there may be some things that there's part of these purposes we're needing to get done. And I'm really praying and stressing, Lord, how should we do this? Should we do it the way we've been doing it? Should we try this or should we try that? Should we try this? And, and sometimes finally when I finally shut up and listen, it's like I'm feeling the Holy Spirit impress upon me, it's like, I don't care, just do it. We'd rather talk about it, right? debate about how we should do it, just as long as we don't actually do it. Even good traditions can become a weight. Um, some churches have a tradition that the men sit on one side, women sit on the other. Did you know that? That's not right or wrong. It's just you can do it that way. I personally like for families to sit together. I think that's a good thing to be together. In, in our, uh, when, we, when I first came uh, to Hartville in the old church, this way in a lot of churches, that all of the young people and teenagers all sat in the very, very back. It was that way in my church growing up. And my poor Mima about got whiplash from looking back there to see what I was doing all the time, you know? Uh, but we kind of tried to break that a little bit. You remember when we first got in here, all the young people had been sitting in the back. We talked them into sitting in the front for a while. And finally, we've just kind of filtered out all over. And that's fine. That's fine. But what I'm saying is there's different traditions. And then there's different ways of doing things. But sometimes, listen, if the way we're doing things isn't working, we might need to think about doing it differently. We're comfortable with doing it this way, but if it's not working, let's try something. And probably, probably one reason we're not more effective is that we're not failing enough. We're not trying enough things that don't work. Because I always, here's why I'm saying that, I always want to find exactly what it is and how the Lord wants us to do something, and we're not going to do anything until we find that, and we want it to be a success. But sometimes the way the Lord shows you is it's a process elimination. You're going to let you try things and learn as you go by saying, well, now we know that one thing, that, that didn't work, right? And then we move on to something else. And so one reason we're not finding what does work is we're not willing to go through things that seem to be great ideas, and I've had some great ideas but they just didn't work, and I needed to see that, and let's move on. So sometimes we do need to try things, not for the sake of trying things, but to find what works. Um, so sometimes we never question a method. We just keep doing things the way they do it. You know the old saying, if the horse is dead, dismount. We kick a lot of dead horses around here. It's dead. Get off there. Find another one. So the most, here's the, that we need to begin by asking the most important, the most in, important question, and this, 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 this is our filter. Whatever we're going to do, however we may do it, we may do some crazy things, is does this fulfill one of the purposes? Does this fulfill one of the purposes of the church? Whatever we're doing. So anything, we're going to do a lot of different things. We have a lot of things going, a lot of activities, 
But somehow or another, it needs to fulfill one of these five purposes. And we've talked about them. I'm just going to fly through them because I've taught this before. And this was popular. This is, this is biblical. It goes back to Jesus and what he said. This is core of why we're here. Uh, it was made more popular in uh, the purpose-driven church, but this is, this is really biblical. This is really good. That's why I like to use it, and many others use it, and we're using it before that even came out. Does this fulfill? One, if this doesn't fulfill any of the purposes, then we're wasting our time. We should do something else, okay? So this is the filter that we have to ask all what, what, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and we want to look at these things because sometimes we'll just think of one purpose and we want to we wanna just focus on that. But all of these are very important. Let's look at them. Are you ready? First place we're going to go two passages. First place is Matthew chapter 22. And this is what's called the great commandment. Are you ready? The great commandment. Where Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Got it? Next verse. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus went on to say, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you keep this, these two, you're going to fulfill everything of the Old Testament, all of the moral law of the Old Testament. Got it? So there are a couple of purposes right there. First of all, he said, so we're going to define it. Ready? Purpose one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, everything within you. That involves worship. Now, what is worship? Our English word worship really comes from an old word that literally means to ascribe worth. Think worship. That we're ascribing worth to God. And it can be done in many different ways. Basically, it means we bow before him, we exalt him, we're in awe of him, overwhelmed, occupied, filled up, overflowing with who he is. Loving God. And if you really love him and are bowing before him in your heart, that means you want to serve him. It doesn't, it's not something you do just when we're here. In fact, if you're not worshiping God individually, then it's going to be difficult to worship God corporately when we come together. But God's desire is, is that we all, and even in the Old Testament, come together for corporate worship. Somebody who never gets any of that, they're going to be stunted in their relationship with God. We need both. But this is it. This is one of the first is how the church exists. We exist to worship God. How do we love God with all of our heart? Worshiping him and that everything flows out of that. So that's the first thing. The second thing, he says to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second purpose. So worship, second one, ministry. The word ministry means service, that we're serving one another in the name of the Lord on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church exists to minister to people. Ministry is this. Ministry is we are demonstrating God's love to others, and it might be by meeting needs. It might be by healing their hurts in the name of Jesus. So we're to minister to all kinds of needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs, relational needs, financial needs. All of these things we're to minister to one another and to the lost world. That's one of our purposes why we're here. And then the other three come from a next great statement that Jesus made. We have the great commandment, but then you remember the great commission. The great commission, and that's found 
in Matthew 28, 19, the resurrected Jesus is about to ascend. And here's what he says to the church, to the early disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age and then Matthew says, amen, amen. So here we have purpose number three. Are you ready? Purpose number three is go and make disciples. He didn't just tell us to go tell people about Jesus. He said, go help them become disciples. We're not just to hook them, we're to reel them in. Make disciples. He didn't call us just to tell people that they're lost and going to hell and they need to be saved. He wants us to be there to help them come to a knowledge of salvation and then start growing as a Christian and becoming Christ followers who can then in turn turn around and do the same for someone else and tell them about Jesus and help them begin to follow Christ and get connected, watch this, with other believers. So purpose three is evangelism. Evangelism means sharing the good news, telling the good news, sharing the gospel. So that's what we're to be doing. So uh, we are separate from the world, but we're also to reach the world. Did you know that? Um, it's got to be balanced. The church exists partly to communicate God's word. We're ambassadors for Christ. Jesus ascended back into heaven. His presence, the Holy Spirit is in us. We're to go to the people. We are his representatives. We're his ambassadors. Now the word go here in this great commission is a, is a present participle in the Greek text. And it could read, as you are going. Not just go, but as you are going. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, as long as there is one person in this family, in this community, in this world that doesn't know about Jesus, we've got a mandate to tell them. As long as there's... Hey, I've heard people say, well, I don't really... In, in fact, it was said here in the early days, I don't really like our way our church is growing because there's people here I don't know and someone's got my seat and all that. I'm going to tell you something. As long as there's one lost person in this community, every one of our churches has got a mandate to keep trying to reach more people. It's not about numbers, but it's about lost souls. So this is why we got some room. We need to be thinking of who we can impact with the gospel and fulfill this purpose of evangelism. It's not just the pastor's job. I might have a gift of evangelism, and you might say, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That's fine, but you can still do the work of an evangelist. You can still spread there's going to be others that... And so, I never say that I led somebody to Christ. I mean, I hear people talking about that. and I, I've never led anybody. The Lord's led them to himself. I got to be a part of it. But there may have been someone that I talked to and I got to witness to and I got to help them clearly understand the gospel and I got to pray with them. But I don't think I'm the only one. The Holy Spirit did the work. There may have been other people that had planted seeds. It may have been a grandmother's prayer or a mom that never gave up. I just got to be part of it, see? So we're all in this. You never know. You prayer warriors and, 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 and you people, just, just you know, as we're serving and ministering and someone says, well, why did you do this? Because we believe in God and God says you're important and you're valuable and he told us to help you. That, you, you know, that's, that's beginning to open the door. It all flows together. Uh, so evangelism. And then number four from the Great Commission, he said, baptizing them, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Now, in this part of the Great Commission, uh, these three are present participle verbs. So he, here's what he's saying. Going, baptizing, teaching. This is what it is. Going, baptizing, teaching. Now, each part of this command is part of the command to make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching is all part of making disciples in this, in this sentence structure. Why is baptism uh, so important as to warrant inclusion in Christ's great commission? Because it symbolizes one of the great purposes of why we exist. Fellowship. Because when you are being baptized, you are fellowshipping and you are identifying. The word baptized means to identify. You're identifying with what Jesus did to save you. But as an act of faith on your part, which results in you being obedient to do it, you are identifying in a physical, tangible way what was involved in your salvation. Of how that you are identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. His death, burial, resurrection becomes mine. He did that on my behalf. And the whole reason why I have my sins washed away, whole reason why I can be saved is because of what this represents of what he did. And I believe it, and this is my testimony of I'm identifying with Jesus. I'm fellowshipping with him. Communion is we are fellowshipping with him. And we are commanded. By the way, some people say, oh, you know, we have, we're having communion, you know, a lot more often than all this. He says it's often. We need to do it often, right? And, and um, it's not a waste of time. Listen, I, and there's people, you may not feel like you're ready at some point. You may feel worthy. But there's some people say, ah, I never do that. Well, listen, you're not obeying something God told you to do. And, and either you don't know the word well enough to even know that, or else you don't care. He said do it. And, and, and believers have done this from the very night that Jesus was betrayed and went to the garden and was arrested. He shared that with his disciples and told them this is what this represents and this is what this means to you. The early church did it all the way through time, all the way to us. We fellowship with other believers as we share in Christ, but we're fellowshipping with the suffering of he gave his body, he gave his blood to die for our sins. That's an act of faith. So fellowship, and we're part of it. When we're baptized, we're baptized into, Paul tells us in Corinthians, the body of Christ. We're baptized by one spirit into one body. And as we even celebrate communion, we are doing this together. We are all sharing together. And so there's koinonia. There's the word that means to have in common. It's fellowship. Fellowship is something that you need. We're called, listen to me, here it is. We're not just called to believe, we're called to belong. You belong to Christ, and we belong to Him. We belong to each other. In the next few weeks, God's will, I'm going to do covering seven basics of belonging as part of the core of our connection class and what that means. I'm going to talk about that more, uh, in, uh, Lord willing, ahead. All right, let's go to number five. Purpose number five. So we got evangelism, fellowship. Uh, excuse me, I got a little click happy there. Uh, he says, teaching them to obey, and that's discipleship. He said, make disciples, but it's teaching them to obey. The church exists to edify, to build up, to educate God's people. Discipleship is a process of helping people become more like Jesus. How are you going to know if you never have read anything and, and understood what Jesus said or what the Bible says? It begins when you're born again, and it will continue throughout the rest of your life. All right? Now, let's direct this purpose. Because we must define what to do, 
as well as define what we are definitely not supposed to do. But after this, here's what I think God wants. He wants us to find the most effective and efficient ways of carrying this out. Both are important. That when we are effective, we're doing the right things. When we're effective. When we are efficient, we're doing things right. So I want to do the right things in the right ways. God help us. Amen? Amen. We get so bogged down sometimes in frivolous details and issues that aren't even relevant to the purpose that we never, I feel like, get around myself and all of us get around to doing what God put us here for. So we need to ask the uh, question, what's the main thing? These purposes, these five purposes, it sums it up. When we go to Acts chapter 2 and we read about the early church, they continue in the apostles' teaching, and they were worshiping together. They were breaking bread together. They were sharing each other's needs of fellowship, so, and they were, they, were having, they were worshiping together. Uh, they were fellowshipping together. They were continuing to grow as disciples. They were ministering to one another, and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved, all five of those. You see this exactly happening at the end of Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to take time to go there. I talked on it not too long ago. But this is what we want to do, is we want to keep, right, remember, the main thing, the main thing. You know how hard it is to do that? I feel like I struggle a lot and spend a lot of energy just trying to keep the main thing, the main thing around here. So I'll wrap it up with this, our responsibilities as a believer. So you ready to go back through them? We can go slow or fast. It depends on how excited you are. You ready? Let's go back through. God wants me to be a member of his family. God wants that. That is the purpose of fellowship. You're a part of a body. God wants every one of us. And if this isn't, listen, if this isn't the church where you can do this, I would love to help you find a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, disciple-making, God-glorifying church where you can do that if it's not here. Because we do have a lot of them in this community. We do. We're not the only one. And sometimes you may be a better fit. Sometimes I've seen God do that. I mean, I've seen people get upset and leave here just because they didn't like one of our messages. You know, we had a big controversy when we just started putting verses and words of songs up on the walls. Um, when we voted to get pew chairs instead of hardback wood pews, we, we, we had people struggle with that and all. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. I'm going to use whatever tool as efficiently and effectively as we can, Okay. But God wants you to, and, and so there's sometimes God creates unrest because he does have somewhere else you're going to connect better, and that's okay. It happens with pastors. It happens with people. But, 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 but if you never find a place to connect, the problem might not be them. It might be you. Okay? He wants you to connect. Fellowship. Um, oh, excuse me. God wants you to be a model of his character. That's the goal of discipleship. He wants me to grow in Christ's likeness. That's the goal. All these need to be happening in my life, right? These are my responsibilities. I need to be fellowship. I need to connect with the church. I need to be growing in Christ. That's discipleship. 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps. He left us an example. I want to follow in his steps. Discipleship. Follow A Christ follower. Uh, God wants me to be a minister or a servant of his grace, helping other people see God's grace. That's the purpose of ministry or service. There's some way God wants you to be involved in that as well. Some way. 
He's given you different gifts. In fact, 1 Peter 4.10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A lot of people want to get these gifts that makes you look like, oh, look at me, look how holy and all of that they are. No, God said the purpose of my gifts is so you can serve one another. If your gift's not serving someone else, I know, I've talked a good while, but we're, going, we're doing fine. We're doing, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> you weren't, were you? Not only a minister of his grace, God wants me to be a messenger of his love. This is every one of us. That's the purpose of evangelism. In some way, I can share. I can share what God is doing in my life and what God's uh, doing through my life. All right? I can tell other people that I'm in contact, and some of you are going to be having an opportunity to do this that, that I'll never get an opportunity to. When Paul was leaving, uh, he, he met in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, with some believers. And he said, but I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the service, the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. And what is it? To testify, to witness, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what I want to do, and that's what he wants us to do. And the last thing is that I have a responsibility to be a magnifier of his name. That's the purpose of worship magnify. You know what I do when I magnify God? If there's people in my life around me, when I magnify something, I make something that is far off seem closer. When I magnify something small, I make it seem bigger. And so as we worship, maybe even those around us, we will help what seems to them to be a far off God draw near or a small God see how big he is. I want to magnify him. I want to fulfill that. And the psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord in Psalm 34, 3 with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's what we're here for is to exalt his name. Now, this is it right here. This is it. Worship. All five purposes. Are you ready to go through it? Watch this. These are in your notes, so look back over them later. Worship helps us focus on God. Fellowship helps us face life's problems because we're not doing it alone. Discipleship helps fortify and build our faith. Ministry helps us use the gifts and talents that he gave us to build others up and to glorify him. Evangelism helps us fulfill that mission of spreading the word. Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. He's waiting on us. And all of this together is the ultimate purpose of glorifying our God. To glorify God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father.